<laughs> well, welcome to church. Y'all excited to be in the house of God today? Hey, I want to send my love to our Lancaster family. And if you're watching this online and you're local to the area, get your butt to church because we miss you. It's not the same, all right? Hey, listen, I just wanted to say I'm so excited to be back with you. I kind of took the last couple weeks off from preaching. I've been around. I had a conference to go to. But can we just take a moment and give it up for Kevin and Jessica for bringing us some great messages that... Just investing in our relationships, we just really believe relationships matter. Now listen, before I jump into the last week of this series, I need to pause and tell you that you do not want to miss next weekend in our church. It is going to be an incredibly special weekend, a very powerful, we've got incredible things planned for it, and we're kicking off a new series that I'm just going to say, and I'm not trying to hype this up like more, I'm actually more excited about this series than I have been in any series in a really long time. This is something that God has placed on my heart, and I want to get very real. We're doing this series called Thy Kingdom Come. Maybe you recognize that reference from the Lord's Prayer. And I want to talk about something that maybe a lot of us at times struggle with, and that is prayer. Like, here's, here's the thing. I know you're like, okay, a series on prayer. That sounds so exciting, Pastor Tim. Like, that's the last thing I want to... I'm telling you that I believe that... Uh, prayer is one of those things that is a struggle for us, but also believe it is one of the things that could change our life. It could change your marriage if it's struggling. It could change someone in your family's life. I really, I really believe that. And we believe that God is going to answer prayers during the series. We've got something really powerful that we're going to kick off with next week. And so make sure you are here for that. Okay. Now, this is the last week of relationship goals. We're, we're, if you're new with us, we've kind of been in this series of talks around this cultural thing that we've been hearing all about. Like, let's just be honest that in our culture, you hear this, this phrase, relationship goals. Or you'll hear people go, man, they're goals. Or that's goals. Kim and Kanye, that's goals. You'll hear people say things like that. And I would argue that what our culture often says is relationship goals might look good on the surface. But I'm not really sure that it's actually great for lasting, healthy marriages. I, I really don't know that it is. In fact, I think sometimes we get obsessed with the wrong thing when it comes to goals. It comes to relationships. You know, some of us, and I've seen this before, there's sometimes people that can, can, can spend so many hours preparing for the perfect wedding and yet never spend any time preparing to have a great marriage. Sometimes we, we work really hard, but in the wrong direction. Or, or maybe, maybe some people have this thought about, I need to have the perfect house. And we have this dream of the perfect house and it looks beautiful on the outside, on the inside. It's perfect. It's clean. It's neat. Everything's in order and we'll obsess over the perfect house, but we won't put any real thought and time and energy into actually building a home with the people inside of it. Or, or maybe it's this image that we have that everybody needs to think we're the perfect family, we're the perfect couple. And so we post pictures and we put things out there and you'll see some people that all they'll do is they'll love on somebody so through social media publicly, but never ever say it privately. And oftentimes it's just a mirage because we want everybody to think that we're way better than we really are when maybe our marriage is falling apart at the seams. And so... What I'm trying to say is through this series, we've been saying, God, can you help realign our relationship goals with your goals for our relationships? Why do we want God's goals for our relationships? Why, why not our own? Well, let me tell you why. Because God created relationships. God made you and he made me for relationships. He made us for marriage. You know God is for marriage. Do you know that God is pro-marriage? 
Did you know that God invented it? That where it says that two shall become one flesh, that is God's plan. God, in fact, Jesus even helped us understand how God's heart is when it comes to marriage. You want to talk about a goal? Here's what Jesus said. He said it this way about marriage. Therefore, he said, what God has joined together. Have you ever heard this phrase? He said, let no one, what? Separate. This is God's heart for our marriages. Now, now let me just say this. Um, when our marriages fail, when our marriages break up, can I just tell you this? It breaks God's heart. It really does. I don't, I don't know if you know the way God feels about when marriages end because God created them. And God has a plan for them to be one of the most beautiful things we experience in life here. A reflection of maybe the, even the most intimate relationship we would ever have with him. But do you not understand how much it breaks God's heart? One time God said through one of the prophets, he said, I want you to tell my people this. He said, tell them that I hate divorce. God hates divorce. Now, now let me just pause and say that if you have gone through a divorce, a lot of times maybe when you've heard that, you hear God hates divorce, or maybe someone has told it to you this way, and I want to kind of correct that, that, that you kind of automatically feel, God hates me. I messed up. Oh, God, I got a divorce. God, God, God hates divorce. Oh, he must hate me. Can I just say this? And I want to kind of set the record straight and really correct whether you've gone through a, a divorce or it's just anything else. Can I just say this? God does not hate you. Can we agree to that? God does not hate you. God loves you like more than you can imagine. But the reason why God said, I hate divorce and tell the people I hate divorce is because God hates what divorce does to you. God hates how divorce hurts and it kills and it breaks hearts. Do you realize that when our heart breaks, God, his heart breaks. That, that's why it bothers him so much. And so if you want to talk about a real relationship goal, if I could give you maybe the greatest one, especially if you're thinking about getting married, if you are married, listen, most of you don't even realize that you proclaimed this hashtag relationship goal over your marriage at the wedding altar. Because almost every single one of us, here's what we said to some form or another when we gave our vow for commitment and richer and poorer and sickness and in health, we would say something like this, until death do us part. I believe that if God were here to, in person to tell us of Jesus, he would say, you want the ultimate relationship goal? That's it in marriage. Till death do us part. Why is it that so many of us probably said that? I said something like that. Why is it that so many of us would stand at the wedding altar and we, we mean it? Like we are. Like when you get, I haven't talked to anybody and I've done a lot of weddings, officiated a lot, done pre-marriage counseling. Like I have never met any couple that's like, that doesn't think that this is going to work. That doesn't think this is going to last. I've never met any of them. When we stand there and we say till death do us part, listen, we mean it. I know you meant it, like we mean it, but then why is it that so many of us enter into marriage with this thought, this idea till death to us part, and then it seems just as prevalent that people end up getting divorced? I'll tell you why. I think it's because what we picture and what we really get are two different things. Can I be real about this for just a second? You know, we got this beautiful picture when we're dating, we're naive. If you're single, I'm just going to tell you, when you're dating, you're naive. 
You got, we got this perfect picture. Oh, I'm going to meet the perfect guy. I'm going to meet the perfect girl. We're going to settle down. We're going to have the perfect life. We're going to have 2.3 kids and we're going to have a dog and a cat and we're going to have this little house and it's going to be right here and it's going to be gorgeous. And we got this mental picture of what marital bliss is going to be. And then all of a sudden we get married. And what happens is that it doesn't line up with reality. It's not like marriage is hard. Can I say that today? Can I get a witness from anybody who's married? Would you agree with me? Marriage is hard. I know some of you are like, I don't want to respond. My spouse is going to think I'm... You know, um, there are two things that I believe are probably the greatest challenge when it comes to a marriage lasting. There's two things that happen in a marriage that should define it that I believe will maybe is one of the greatest challenges to our marriages. I want to talk about that today as we close out this series. Really, I'm, I'm speaking primarily to those of you who are married, but listen, if you're single, you, you ought to really pay attention to this because this could help frame your mindset correctly when you get married. Okay? Two greatest things that are challenges to us in our marriages, it's conflict and commitment. I, I'm going to have some things for you. If you're married, you should write these down. You should, you should lean into this. Maybe this is going to help you. Conflict and commitment. There's a strange tension that exists between conflict and commitment. We stand up there and we're ready to say, I do, until death do us part. We're good with kind of making the commitment. But what we don't often understand or expect or is the conflict that comes with it. Conflict and commitment. There's this, there's this strange tension. One side's beautiful, one side's painful. One thing is what we expect. The other is what we get. And when it comes to marriages, the one thing that we need to help us with conflict and commitment is love. It's love. Now, if you ask anybody that's getting married, why are you getting married? The number one answer is because I love him, because I love her. It's the number one answer. And so I thought I wanted to read to you just, and this is why I say, what, what is God's goal for our relationships? Can I read to you from a passage that I promise that you've probably heard? Maybe some of you have hanging up in your house. It's from a passage that a lot of you maybe had spoken or read at your wedding. It's from the love chapter. We call this the love chapter if you've been around church. You all know what the love chapter is if you do shout it out. What is it? First Corinthians 13. Look at a bunch of Bible scholars here today. Look at y'all. Yeah, we think of that passage as this beautiful, just it's read at weddings. It's like, oh, it's so touching. It's all about love and how gorgeous and beautiful. And that's what we're getting married in. Oh, it's all about love. I want you to listen to it. And I want you to kind of really try to understand what is being said about love as I read it to you. Because I believe there's this beautiful tension of conflict and commitment in it. Here's how it goes. First uh, Corinthians 13 verse 4 says this. Love is patient. Why do you think Paul had to write that love is patient? Have you ever lost it? See, see, it sounds beautiful. And some of you have this really pretty calligraphy, like drawings on your walls or something that has this verse. And it's like, it's so beautiful. Really? Love is patient. It's like, I need to remind you, jerks. Love is kind. Husbands. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's, 
It's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. All I hear is conflict. This is the beautiful passage that we all love to say at our weddings when we're dressed up in our best. And it's not easily angered. Or how about this one? We don't like this, but it keeps no ledger, no record of wrongs. It says this in, in verse uh, six, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So I'm about truth. I'm right. You're wrong. All I, all I see is conflict. And then all of a sudden, here's the, here's the other side of it. And this is the beautiful tension that exists. Look at verse seven. It says, love it. It always what? Protects. And it always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. Verse, verse 8 begins this way. I want you all just both campuses to say, read, read those first three words out loud with me. Love never. Do, do you see Paul's like there's conflict and there's commitment. If there's two things that matter in a marriage, it's conflict and it's commitment. It's how we handle it, both of those things that matter. And I just want you to know this, that if, if you're here today and maybe you feel like there's a lot of conflict in your marriage or you had this picture in your mind that it was just, we love each other and we, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person and it's my best friend and it's just like, I can't imagine anything else. And then all of a sudden you've gotten married and you feel like we've been at each other a lot. Can I just at least say you're normal? Is it all right if I say that? You're normal. If you have conflict, you're normal. Conflict is a natural part of relationships. Okay? We're different people. You put us together, especially in tight quarters, share things. All of a sudden, why do you think he says love is not self-seeking? It's because we are naturally like that. And so if you have conflict in your relationship, listen, it's okay. You're normal. But what matters the most is how you handle the conflict. I would argue and say it's probably the number one reason why marriages end. It's because of we don't know how to handle the conflict. There, there's a um, researcher. He is a relationship psychologist. I've talked about him before. I think they did great work called Dr. Gottman. Dr. John Gottman and his wife, Julie. They've been studying marriages. This was fascinating to me for, for over four decades. And they've done a lot of research, like scientific research, inviting couples in, and, and they kind of would talk to them and they leave them, and, and they actually captured on camera just, just many, just uh, many, many couples arguing and fighting. And you know, they went back and they would kind of watch these couples and they would write observations about them. And here's what they've discovered. It's fascinating to me. They said that they can watch a couple argue in a fight. They can watch a couple argue for five minutes. And within five minutes, they can determine within nearly a 94% accuracy rating whether or not that couple is going to stay married or not by watching them argue for five minutes. Do you, do you realize how big conflict is? It matters. In fact, they, they came to this understanding. They, they say there's a five-to-one ratio. You ought to think about this in your relationship, your marriage. A five-to-one ratio, and here's what it is. For every one negative experience, every one conflict, every one argument, every one fight, there needs to be five positive experiences with that person just to make up for that one. We wonder sometimes why our marriages are raveling because we, we have, maybe it's the other way around. 
Maybe it's five arguments, five fights, and we barely have one good thing to happen after. That's why I think that, listen, that when, there, when you have a fight, if you're married, you, you need to make up. Do you know what I mean? Make out, make up. I don't know if I need to describe this any better. You need to, you, it's important because you need to have some good experiences to make up for the one bad one. I want to talk today about conflict and I want to, I want to start with a place in scripture where I think paints the most natural perspective of what you and I will do in conflict, especially in our relationships and marriage. And that's found in the very first marriage in the Bible. Isn't it funny that we didn't even have to get beyond the very first marriage in the Bible to find conflict? So if you got your Bible, open with me to Genesis chapter 3 today. Now let me say this, okay, it's a little disclaimer. I just want to say this. When I talk about arguing, fighting, and conflict, can I just tell you, I am in no way, shape, or form talking about physical violence or verbal abuse or sexual abuse in a relationship or marriage. Is that clear? That is completely out of bounds. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we argue Kind of when we're, you know, we just conflict, that kind of fighting, not the physical kind of fighting. There's no place for that. And if that is happening in your relationship, you need to get out of that relationship in this moment. We'll help you if you can as a church. You need to separate at least for a while and get help. Because that is not what God has called us to. Okay? I want to look at the story of Adam and Eve. Now listen, maybe you're at church and you go, I don't know, I really believe in Adam and Eve. They were first man, first woman. That's fine. You don't have to believe that to actually see that when we read about their situation, their response to things, to kind of recognize and go, oh yeah, that's what we do. Because if you want to say, what's the most natural response to conflict? How about we start with the very first, this narration of the very first couple and how they responded to conflict. And so before I get to the conflict, let me give you the context. If you don't know the story, the first man, the first woman, as the Bible records, is that God puts them in this garden and God says, you can enjoy everything except for the one tree, right? This one tree in the middle of the garden. He says, don't touch that tree. And he did it to give them a free will. And if you know the story, there's a serpent in the garden. Most believe a Satan who deceives Eve, the woman. And she takes and she eats of the fruit. And then she's so nice and loving and kind that she shares it with her husband. She's like, here, you ought to try this. And he does. And in that moment... The story, the scriptures tell us that their eyes were opened and they knew the difference between good and evil. And in that moment, they felt shame they'd never felt before. That's what sin does. It says they were naked. They didn't even realize they were naked. It wasn't a thing. Being naked wasn't a thing. But they felt shame in that moment and they sowed fig leaves. You know the story? To cover themselves up. I asked you just a simple question. Who were they covering themselves up from? Well, if there were no other people, from each other. Listen, this is what sin will do in our marriages, is we'll create separation. We'll begin to hide things, hide from each other. And then when God showed up, as Genesis 3 tells us, because it gives us this rhythm that God would just show up and he would hang out with them in the cool of the day. He says they hid from God. Now, no, sometimes we try to hide from God. And let me just tell you, you can play hide and go seek with God all you want, but he will always find you. You cannot run from God, okay? So God finds them and he says, uh, why are you hiding? And they're like, we're naked. And in, in verse 11, let me, let me read to you what, what God says to him because this is fascinating to me. In verse 11, God said, who told you you were naked? They shouldn't know that unless they had some kind of special knowledge that they would have gotten from eating that. 
And then he asked this question, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Now, I found that funny to me because that's like what we parents do when you know your kids screwed up, but you still ask them anyways. It's like when my parents caught me uh, one night uh, sneaking out of the house to go hang out at a club when I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, I did that. Your pastor has a past, okay? Now, get over it. And I remember that next morning, my parents, they, hey, your car was gone last night. Where'd you go? Did you go somewhere? You know, it's like, it's just asking a question. That's what God's doing. All right. He's like, did you eat from the tree? And all of a sudden, this is the first moment of conflict in the Bible. Okay. The first moment of conflict. And so God looks at the man and here's what he says. Verse 12, the man, or, or sorry, what the man says to back to God, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Just a little too little bite. You know. Such a guy. Man, it's like there was this big bus coming. He just shoved Eve right in front of it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh... I want you to note this is natural. This is natural. This isn't just them. This is us. They represent us. The, the natural thing to do, okay is what Adam does. The moment the spotlight's on us, he shifts the blame. No, no, not me. <laughs> no, 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 not me. God's looking right. Not me. He shifts the blame in that moment. Did you notice who he blamed first? Who did he blame first? God. No, no, no. I don't know if you missed that. He said, well, you know, the woman you put here with me, I didn't ask for her. I didn't pick her. She was not even an option for me. Now listen, we don't have that excuse. If you're married, my guess is you picked that person. You cannot blame God for the person you got stuck with. That's not a good way to put it, is it? Isn't it funny how it changes? How, if, you were in Gen if you were here week one, I talked about in Genesis 2 when God brought the woman to him. And he was like, hello, whoa, man. It was like flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. Hello, she is, uh, I'll take her. And then all of a sudden this happened. He was like, I didn't ask for her. You're the one that did. I want my rib back, by the way. You didn't, I did not sign a release for that surgery. He shifts the blame. Can I tell you, we not only do this in our marriage, but we do this in so many areas of life that whenever the spotlight is on us for something that maybe we've done, okay, is that we tend to shift the blame. And I'll just be honest with you and say that what a lot of us want to do is we want to actually blame God for our situation. We, we want to blame God. You, you'll hear people all the time, they blame God because of situations in our world. Blame God. I mean, I could just see us. There's some people that just, they don't want to believe in God because there's so much suffering. There's so much starvation in this world. God, there's so, if you really love the people in the world and you really did all this, then why don't you do something about all the starving people? And I wonder if God would just look back and say, I actually did. And there's so much resource that I already gave you. The problem is people are greedy. We want to blame God for something or God, would you save my marriage and it's a mess and, and oh my gosh, she's so terrible and he's awful and God, you got to do something to change her heart. And I wonder if God would look back. I know I tried to get through to you, but you picked them. A lot of times we want to blame God. And so he, he, he shifts the blame. First he, first he blames God, but then he also blamed her. Don't miss that. He said, 
the woman you put here with me, the one who does most of the cooking, she gave me some of the fruit. And I just kind of took a bite. She gave, she gave the, she's the one who did it. I want you just to recognize this because what I'm trying to say is that there is something instinctual in all of us. You can't get any more natural than this. That, that we, the moment the spotlight's on, we're going to begin to turn it. We're going to shift the blame. So imagine this moment where he, he's saying that. He throws Eve in front of the bus, and God's right there, and Eve's right there. Can you imagine, like, the size of her eyes right now in this moment? And, and so God then turns to Eve to ask her a question. Now, before you think that God just overlooks the man, he actually, uh, he actually gives a punishment and a curse for both the man and the woman. But, but he looks at the woman, it says in verse 13, and God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Now here's her response. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She did the same thing. Hey, you know that snake in the grass? You know that serpent? I don't even like snakes. By the way, who made the serpent? Oh, you did, God. You know that serpent? If he hadn't lied, I wouldn't have tried. You know what I mean? Like, he, he did it. And, and I want you to see something. I'm just trying to point this out. And I want you to recognize there's two things that are instinctive in all of us. Can I just share with these two things? Um, there's two things in all of us that we need to recognize when it comes to conflict, especially in our relationships and our marriage, okay? The first one is this. We will do almost anything to protect ourselves. There's something inside of us naturally is wired in us that we will do just about anything to protect ourselves. Like, have you ever been backed in a corner? Like, this happens a lot in conflict, but we, there, something comes over you. Like, there's something that comes out of us. Like, it's just instinctual. I, I remember several years ago, I was actually with a, we, we were on vacation with some family friends of ours, and we'd been at the beach, we had this beach house, and it was nice, and we'd been at the beach all day, and we came back, and we had a pool, this little pool, and so we were hanging out at the pool, and it was getting to be late evening, we were about to kind of do dinner, and I look over, I'm in this, this pool area, it's a fenced-in area, my girls and everyone's in there, and I look over, and inside of the fence, not outside of the fence, was a raccoon, a big, huge raccoon. I didn't even know they had raccoons in Florida. I just thought they were here in Ohio, right? And, and so there's this huge raccoon, not on the outside. I have no idea how it even got inside of the fence. And so I'm hurrying up, thinking, get, get my girls. Come on, guys, get out of the way. And I'm like getting them all the other side. And I, and I would just watch this big, huge, hairy raccoon. And he just kind of walks all along the fence line. And he turns, and then he starts walking on the concrete apron. And I look over there, and I notice that my friend had fallen asleep on a lounger right in the pathway of a rac the raccoon. He said it, the raccoon's headed straight for him. So I did what any good friend did. I yelled as loud as I could to wake him up. I didn't go over there. And, and I said, get up! I said, wake up! There's a raccoon by you! And I don't know if you've ever been woken out of a deep sleep and just free, like, he, just panic, sheer panic, and all he heard was raccoon, you? And he jumped up out of the thing and he ran around the pool swinging like this in the air like there was a raccoon on his head. I, I think that's a natural response to something coming at you. you. You know what's natural is that in our marriages, 
The natural thing when somebody comes at us, when we get into conflict, is my first instinct is I need to protect myself. I'm going to protect myself. So we'll do a lot to protect ourselves, but we're not thinking about protecting our marriage. To protect myself. That's the first one. The second thing is this. We will do almost anything to prove we are right. Is anybody here that likes to be right? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Is that you all, some of you lie? Is that, is that it? Or some of you just like, hey, I'm good with being wrong. I think marriages would be awesome if one person loved being right and the other person loved being wrong. But I've never really met anybody like that, you know? You know, we, we want to prove we're right. None of us want to be wrong. I mean, here's the response of Adam and Eve. Whoa, 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 not me, she. No, not me, it. No, there. Like, not, you're, you're looking the wrong direction. I'm not wrong. I'm right. I'll just be honest with you. Like, this is probably one of my greatest struggles. Well, I should say it's my wife's greatest struggle. To be honest. Like, I, I just love being right. I love being right. And, and, and my wife and I, we, we argue sometimes. We don't fight a lot. We don't. And we'll argue, and a lot of times it's over stupid stuff, and it's just petty, and a lot of times it's just because I want to be right. And and my wife is kind of, she got, I've noticed this, you know, after, by the way, like 23 years. We celebrated 23 years last week. Um, that's pretty awesome. And um, so it, it took it took a while. My, my wife kind of finally just, you know what she did? She just stopped arguing. Like in the middle of argument, she just stops. She shuts down. And you would think I'd be like, ooh, I won, right? But that's not it because I want to beat you. I don't want you to tap out. That's not fair. Like I need to show you I'm right. And so she, she just eventually goes, it doesn't matter what I say. You think you're going to always be right. I miss, in fact, I'm not, I got to say this. Like the other night, I'm not kidding. We went out on a date. Okay. And we were at a restaurant and we're having dinner and we start talking about dessert and we we're going to share a dessert. And she was like, what about that? I'm like, ah, I don't like that dessert. You know, what about this one? And we got into a little bit of like an argument. It wasn't even an argument really about one of the desserts on the menu. Like there was a dessert on the menu that did not match the description that was next to it. And I said, that's not that dessert. And she said, yeah, it is. I said, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is. And she said, no, it's not. And I said, well, you're wrong. And she said, no, I'm not. This went on for about five minutes. Like, I'm trying to show her, like, no, the picture, like, that doesn't even match the description. She was like, yes, it does. I'm like, the lighting in here is bad. I'm showing, I'm turning my light on my flashlight, my phone, to show her how wrong she is. And then she was like, no, you're wrong. That's what it is. And I was like, should we get the manager? She was like, let's ask. So she was like, dead serious. She was like, no, I know I'm right, and you're wrong. I was like, no, you're not. But she was like, you want to bet on it? I was like, sure. Sure, what do you want to bet? She's like, okay, you want, I said, let's bet Disney card, gift card, $25, Disney gift card. She loves Disney gift cards. She saves her money. Anytime someone gives her money, it's a Disney gift card. So I said, fine, we'll bet that. And we asked the waiter. The waiter came over. The waiter was worthless. He was like, I don't even know. Can you get your manager? This is really important. You know what I mean? It was one of those. The manager came over and we showed him the card. No, I mean, the, 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 the menu. And he was like, oh yeah, that's, that's that. And I was like, oh. She was right. It's the first time in 23 years. No, it's, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, by the way, honey. I thought I would pay up. Audrey, come here. Come here, Lorley. Come here. Oh, she, now she's coming up. There's your Disney gift card. Yeah. Imagine if you attended all three experiences. 
Might have been worth 75, but whatever. We, we need to recognize our natural responses in conflict. And listen, here's why. Because these kind of responses in our conflict, listen, will lead to resentment, not resolution. It, it might lead to you being right, but it will also lead to resentment in your marriage, not resolution. And if we're not careful, we will do the same thing that our first parents ever did in the first conflict, and that is play the blame game. And, and I think this happens a lot of times in our relationships, maybe in our marriages. You know, we, we sit there and we're justified and, you know, our marriage isn't good and we're mad and whatever it is. And it's, well, if he just did this, if she was around more, if he helped out a little bit more, we, we justify. This is what we do. We'll justify it in our minds. And what's sad and scary to me at the same time is that sometimes we'll even cheat. People go so far as to break the covenant of marriage and justify it. Well, he never gives me attention. Well, she never gives me affection. Well, we blame and we do all this. And we're all trying to preserve me. We're all trying to save our own skin. Can I just tell you this today? This is so important, please get this. That self-preservation will lead to marriage reservation. As long as you got to be right, as long as you have to be the one, protect yourself, self-preservation, this is about me. It will lead to marriage reservation. What do I mean marriage reservation? I mean like, you know, I'm not sure it's going to work out. I don't know that he really wants this. I don't know that she really cares about me like she used to. I, I, I don't know why we ever got married in the first place. That's marriage reservation. And sometimes we're, we're so adamant about being right. We're so adamant about self-preservation that I, I'm going to defend at all costs and my perspective is right and, and I'm never going to see it their way and, and, and they and them and we blame and we do all these things. Can I just tell you this? Yeah, you might save yourself, but you might also lose your marriage. What's that worth? What's it worth? At the end of the day, I didn't think that's what the purpose of marriage was even about. I thought like, and we got married a long time ago, there was this tradition where you had a unity candle. You remember those? I thought it was about extinguishing your own candle to light a unified candle. That it's not about me, it's about we. It's not about me being right, it's about us. And what matters in our marriage, can I just say this? I'll give you a, a just, this might totally change your marriage if you had struggle in it. And it's a concept none of us want to embrace today. But maybe this will save your marriage. If you want to save your marriage, try this out. Deny yourself. Oh, that sounds awful. Deny myself. Deny yourself. I know, I know it sounds un-American. It just does, right? Because here in our culture, we don't deny ourselves anything that we want. If I want it, I'm going to get it. If I can't afford it, I'm going to charge it. We don't deny ourselves anything. That sounds so un-American. I know, but it also sounds Christ-like, doesn't it? Isn't that what Jesus was? Jesus said, I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Right? When you think about Jesus, when they came and they brought all kinds of things against him. It says that Jesus did not open his mouth. He didn't say anything. 
Now, Jesus is right. Why doesn't he justify himself? It's because he came for a greater purpose. And that purpose was us on the cross. Can I tell you, there's a greater purpose in your marriage than just you being right. You getting your desires and your dreams and everything working out the way you want. There's a greater purpose in your marriage. And it's unity. It's what God wants to do in and through you guys together. I'm not suggesting you be a doormat. I'm not suggesting you never talk about your issues. I'm not suggesting that. But there's something about us coming together in marriage and saying, it's not about me. So I'm going to learn to deny myself. Can I give you a goal as we close this series? Can I just give you a relationship goal? That's what the series is about. Let me just give you a new one. This is what I, when I think about marriage, when I think about what Jesus said, when I think about everything we see in it, it's a real simple goal that maybe if we'd make this like, this is my relationship goal for my marriage. Maybe you'd say that today. It's real simple. It's this, that the goal is not to be right but to unite. Wow. What, what if we had that perspective? The goal is not to be right, but to unite. I, I want to do something at both our campuses. I want every single person, would you just read that and say it out loud with me? Because even if you're single, you ought to start receiving this now. It could save you a lot of pain later. Let's say it all out loud together. The goal is not to be right, but to, it's, to, it's unity. The two become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, let no one, can I say it again? Let no one separate. I don't know. The goal is unity. And by the way, isn't that maybe even what love really is? Like 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not proud. It doesn't boast. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. Isn't that what, I mean, isn't that what love is about? Isn't that? It's about unity. It's about each other. So let me just say this as we close the series. And I want to pray for you. And I want to pray. I believe God wants to do something in our marriages today. You're going to have conflict. There's going to be conflict. You're going to fight. But just make sure that you don't just fight in your marriage but that you also fight for your marriage. Please hear this. Do you fight for your marriage? What would it look like for you to fight for your marriage? What does it look like for you? Because you have an opponent, but it is not the person with the same last name as you. You have an opponent, you have an enemy, the devil. From the very beginning, what is the serpent doing? Trying to create division, trying to separate us from God and create separation between us. This is what he tries to do. And so we have to take a stand. And we got to say, you know what? I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to fight in it. I'm going to fight for my marriage. And our goal is unity. The goal is not to be right, but to unite. I want to pray for you today. Would you? I want to ask just everyone on our campus, would you guys just stand up to me? Would you just join us in prayer? I, I, I just really believe God wants to minister to both our locations. Everyone, every person standing. Listen, if you're next to your spouse would, you, spouse, would you just grab her hand or grab his hand? I just want to ask everyone just to bow your heads and just close your eyes in this moment and pray with me. I believe that God wants to minister to all of us right now. I believe that God wants to maybe work healing where there has been hurt that has not been resolved. Father, I just pray right now, first and foremost, God, for every single person in our church. 
I pray, God, that we would begin to align our values, Lord, with you. I pray, God, we'd have the right relationship goals, the ones that align with who you are. And, Father, I pray for every marriage. God, marriage is hard. It's not easy. God, I I really believe that when you have joined us together, that your vision, your heart, your hope for us is that, God, we would be one. That there's something powerful that happens when we come together as one. That that the devil cannot separate. If the devil cannot get in and separate, God, if we do not separate, that something powerful can happen in the family, in our society. And so, God, I pray right now over our marriages. I pray, God, over hurt in our marriages. I pray, God, over those who maybe have, have broken the covenant of faith. God, I pray right now that you would work healing. I pray, God, that you would give a spirit of forgiveness. I pray, God, that you would just break something in our hearts that has hardened, has caused bitterness toward our spouse. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would do something by your spirit in our hearts. God, I'm praying you would just, you would resurrect marriages that are dead and hanging on by a thread. I pray, God, that you would move by your power, that you would do something in us. And I pray, Lord, for unity in our families, unity in our marriages. I pray, God, that this message, this series, God, would lead to some kind of life change maybe in our marriages, the way we talk to each other, the way we love each other and see each other. God, I thank you that perfect love dries out fear, that you are a God of love, that you love us infinitely. May we demonstrate that kind of love in our relationships. God, we thank you and we praise you for your work in our in our church, in this season. God, have your way. Protect our marriages, God, as we go from this series. Protect our marriages. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And everyone said, come on, let's give him praise today. Amen.